Vienna. Strange and unusual stories from history, literature, myths, and legends. The Giant Turtle An elderly gentleman called Zhang, a native of the western region of Jin, was about to give away his daughter in marriage, and took his family with him by boat on a trip to the south, having decided to purchase there all that was necessary for her trousseau. When the boat arrived at Gold Mountain, he went ahead across the river, leaving his family on board and warning them not to fry any strong-smelling meat during his absence, for fear of provoking the turtle demon that lurked in the river. This vicious creature would be sure to come out if it had smelled meat cooking, and would destroy the boat and eat alive anyone on board. It had been wreaking havoc in the area for a long while. Once the old man had left, his family quite forgot his words of caution, lit a fire on deck, and began to cook meat on it. All of a sudden, a great wave arose, overturning their boat and drowning both Zhang's wife and daughter. When Zhang returned, he was grief-stricken at their deaths. He climbed up to the monastery on Gold Mountain and called on the monks there, asking them for information about the turtle's strange ways so that he could plan his revenge. The monks were appalled at his intentions. We live with the turtle every day, in constant fear of the devastation it is capable of causing. All we can do is worship it and pray to it not to fly into a rage. From time to time, we slaughter animals, cut them in half, and throw them into the river. The turtle jumps out of the water, gulps them down, and disappears. No one would be so crazy as to try to seek revenge. As he listened to the monk's words, Zhang was already forming his plan. He recruited a local blacksmith who set up a furnace on the hillside above the river and smelted a large lump of iron, over a hundred caddies in weight. Zhang then ascertained the turtle's exact hiding place and hired a number of strongmen to lift up the red-hot molten iron with a great pair of tongs and hurl it into the river. True to form, the turtle leapt out of the water, gulped down the molten metal, and plunged back into the river. Minutes later, mountainous waves came boiling to the water's surface. Then, in an instant, the river became calm and the turtle could be seen floating dead on the water. Travelers and monks alike rejoiced at the turtle's death. They built a temple to old man Zhang, erected a statue of him inside it, and worshipped him as a water god. When they prayed to him, their wishes were always fulfilled. a ghost. Shenlin Sheng once told me the story. 
friend of his, an elderly man, was taking a nap one summer's day and had drifted into a dreamlike state when he perceived a woman raising his door blind and entering his room. Her head swathed in a length of white cotton and her body clothed in the hempen dress of mourning. She walked on into the inner apartments of the house and he thought she must be his neighbor's wife come to pay his own wife a visit. On reflection, he found it strange that she should be making a social call dressed in full mourning and was still puzzling over this when the woman came out again. He looked at her more closely this time and saw that she was a woman of some 30 years with a sallow complexion, bloated features, a pronounced frown, and a strange expression on her face that struck fear into his heart. Instead of walking on and out of the room, she hesitated a while, and then slowly approached his bed. He feigned sleep, but secretly watched her every movement. The next second she hoisted up her skirts, clambered onto his bed and pressed herself down on top of him with the force of a ton weight. His mind was still clear, but his hands, when he tried to lift them, seemed tied fast, and his feet, when he tried to move them, were paralyzed. He would have cried out for help, but try as he might, he found he could make no sound. The woman now began to sniff her way all over the old man's face, rubbing her nose in turn on his cheeks, his nose, his eyebrows, his forehead. Her nose was cold as ice, and her chill breath penetrated his very bones. He conceived a sort of desperate plan. He would let her work her way down to his jaw, and then he would bite into her. Soon enough she reached his jaw, and he sunk his teeth deep into her face, summoning up every remaining ounce of strength. She tried to pull away, struggling and yelping in pain, but the old man bit into her harder than ever. He felt the blood dribbling down his jaw and dripping down onto the pillow. He was still struggling to hold on when he heard his wife's voice out in the courtyard and cried out, Help! There's a ghost in here! his jaw in order to speak, and thereby released the woman who flitted from the room. His wife came hurrying in, and seeing nothing whatsoever, made fun of her husband for having been deluded by a nightmare. The old man told her in detail about the apparition, and protested that the blood shed by the strange woman would be proof that it had been no mere nightmare. There was indeed a great wet stain on both pillow and bed, as if a large quantity of water had leaked through the roof, and when he bent down and smelled it, it gave off such an extraordinarily foul stench that the old man began to vomit violently. Several days later, he could still taste the lingering stench in his mouth.
Wild Dog. During the rebellion led by Yu Chi, men died in countless numbers, mowed down like fields of hemp. At this time, a peasant by the name of Li Hulong was trying to find his way home through the hills when he came across a detachment of government troops on a night march. Afraid of being rounded up indiscriminately as a bandit and seeing nowhere to hide, he lay down in a heap of decapitated corpses, pretending to be dead himself, and staying there until long after the troops had passed. Then, suddenly, he saw the corpses, for the most part headless and armless, stand up in serried ranks like trees in a forest. One among them, his head still dangling from his shoulders, gasped, The wild dog is coming! We are done for! The others answered in a ragged chorus, Done for! Done for! The next instant, they all tumbled down again and lay there in motionless silence. Lee was about to rise to his feet, trembling with fear though he was, when he saw a creature coming towards him with the head of an animal and the body of a man. As the wild dog came nearer, it bent down, sank its teeth into one after another of the heads, and sucked out their brains. In terror, Lee buried his own head under the nearest corpse. The monster tugged at Lee's shoulders to get at his head, but Lee burrowed down still further and succeeded for a while in staying out of its reach until finally the monster pushed the corpse aside, thus exposing Lee's head. The terrified Lee, groping around desperately on the ground beneath him, grabbed hold of a big stone the size of a bowl and clutched it tightly in his hand. As the creature bent down to bite him, he heaved himself up with a great cry smashed the stone into its mouth. The creature made an odd hooting noise like an owl and ran off clutching its face and spinning mouthfuls of blood onto the road. In the blood, Lee discovered, when he looked more closely, two fangs, curved and tapering to a sharp point, each one over four inches long. He took them home with him to show his friends, none of whom had any idea what sort of a strange beast it might have been. dead priest. A certain Taoist priest, overtaken in his wanderings by the shades of evening, sought refuge in a small Buddhist monastery. The monk's apartment was, however, locked, so he threw his mat down in the vestibule of the shrine and seated himself upon it. In the middle of the night, when all was still, he heard a sound of someone opening the door behind him, and looking round, saw a Buddhist priest, covered with blood from head to foot, who did not seem to notice that anybody else was present. Accordingly, he himself pretended not to be aware of what was going on, and then he saw the other priest enter the shrine 
mount the altar, and remain there for some time embracing Buddha's head and laughing by turns. When morning came, he found the monk's room still locked, and suspecting something was wrong, he walked to a neighboring village where he told the people what he had seen. Thereupon the villagers went back with him and broke open the door, and there before them lay the priest weltering in his blood, having evidently been killed by robbers who had stripped the place bare. Anxious now to find out what had made the disembodied spirit of the priest laugh in the way it had been seen to do, they proceeded to inspect the head of the Buddha on the altar, and at the back of it they noticed a small mark, scraping through which they discovered a sum of over thirty ounces of silver. This sum was forthwith used for defraying the funeral expenses of the murdered man. There was a man in our village who led an exceedingly disreputable life. One morning, when he got up rather early, two men appeared and led him away to the marketplace, where he saw a butcher hanging up half a pig. As they approached, the two men shoved him with all their might against the dead animal, and lo, his own flesh began to blend with the pork before him while his conductors hurried off in an opposite direction. By and by, the butcher wanted to sell a piece of his meat, and, seizing a knife, began to cut off the quantity required. At every touch of the blade, our disreputable friend experienced a severe pang, which penetrated into his very marrow. And when, at length, an old man came and haggled over the weight given him, crying out for a little bit more fat, or an extra portion of lean. Then, as the butcher sliced away the pork, ounce by ounce, the pain was unendurable in the extreme. By about nine o'clock the pork was all sold, and our hero went home. Whereupon, his family asked him what he meant by staying in bed so late. He then narrated all that had taken place, and on making inquiries, they found that the pork butcher had only just come home, besides which our friend was able to tell him every pound of meat he had sold, and every slice he had cut off. Fancy a man being put to a lingering death like this before breakfast. At the time of the Shi Qian troubles in Shandong, the great residences of the nobility were all commandeered by the rebels, 
the mansion of Education Commissioner Wan Chi Xiang, accommodated a particularly large number of them. When the government troops eventually retook the town and massacred the rebels, every porch was strewn with corpses. Blood flowed from every doorway. When Commissioner Wong returned, he gave orders that all the corpses were to be removed from his home and the blood washed away so that he could once more take up residence. In the days that followed, he frequently saw ghosts in broad daylight and during the night, ghostly will-o'-the-wisp flickerings of light beneath his bed. He heard the voices of ghosts wailing in various corners of the house. One day, a young gentleman by the name of Wang Gaudi, who had come to stay with the commissioner, heard a little voice crying beneath his bed. Gaudi, Gaudi. Then the voice grew louder. I died a cruel death. The voice began sobbing and was soon joined by ghosts throughout the house. The commissioner himself heard it and came with his sword. Do you not know who I am? He declared loudly. I am Education Commissioner Wong. The ghostly voices merely sneered at this and laughed through their noses. Whereupon, the commissioner gave orders for a lengthy ritual to be immediately performed for all departed souls on land and sea, in the course of which Buddhist bonzes and Taoist priests prayed for the liberation of his supernatural tenants from their torments. That night, they put out food for the ghosts, and will-o'-wisp lights could be seen flickering across the ground. Now before any of these events, a gate man, also named Wong, had fallen gravely ill and had been lying unconscious for several days. The night of the ritual, he suddenly seemed to regain consciousness and stretched his limbs. When his wife brought him some food, he said to her, The master put out food in the courtyard. I've no idea why. Anyway, I was out there eating with the others and I've only just finished, so I'm not that hungry. From that day, the haunting ceased. Does this mean that the banging of cymbals and gongs, the beating of bells and drums, and other esoteric practices for the release of wandering souls are necessarily efficacious? The Girl in Green In Yi Du County, there lived a young man by the name of Yu Jing. He had taken his books with him to lodgings at the Temple of Sweet Springs, and one night he was sitting there chanting a text when he heard a woman's voice at his window. Oh, Mr. Yu, what a very serious student you are. 
He was still wondering what a woman could possibly be doing up there in the hills, when in she came, pushing the door open with a disarming smile. So very serious. He jumped up in alarm and found himself standing before a young lady of the most incomparable delicacy and the most exquisite beauty, clad in a green tunic and a long skirt. He knew at once that this was no ordinary mortal and asked her, perhaps a trifle emphatically, where she was from. I'm hardly going to bite you, she replied. Why the Inquisition? He was instantly captivated and they shared his bed that very night. When he came to loosen her silken tunic, it revealed a waist so slender that his hands could encircle it with ease. The last watch sounded and she slipped away, returning to him the following and every subsequent night. On one such night they were drinking together when she made a remark which betrayed an unusual understanding of music. I love the sound of your voice, he said. It's so fine and soft. Sing me a song. I am sure it will quite carry away my soul. I'd rather not, she replied, smiling as ever. I wouldn't want to carry you too far away. He pleaded with her all the more. I am not trying to be unkind, she said. It is just that I do not want others to hear. Oh, if you really insist, I'll sing a song. But quietly, just for you. She tapped her golden lotuses, her tiny bound feet, lightly on the edge of the bed and began to sing. Jackdaw singing in the tree tricks me away before the light. I'd gladly wet my pretty shoes if I can stay with you tonight. Her voice was light as silk and barely audible. Yu Jing listened intently and his whole being vibrated to the haunting, lilting melody. The song ended. She opened the door and peeped outside. I must make sure there is no one at the window. She searched the whole length of the building. You seem so frightened. What is the matter? asked Yu Jing when she returned. There's an old saying, replied the girl with her ever-present smile. A ghost that steals life must forever live in fear. Such is my fate. She lay down to sleep, but she seemed restless and ill at ease. This idol of ours is fated to end, she finally said to Eugene. He begged her to explain. My heart beats strangely. I know my end is close at hand. Strange movements of the heart, flutterings of the eyes, such things happen to all of us from time to time, he protested. You must not be so gloomy. She seemed a little comforted by this, and they united once more in tender passion. As the last watch of the night came to an end, she threw on her dress 
descended from the bed and walked as far as the door. There, instead of undoing the bolt, she began pacing back and forth. I do not know why, but something fills me with dread. Come outside with me, I beseech you. You rose and went out with her. Stay there and watch me, she said. Do not go in again until I am beyond that wall. Very well, said you, and he watched her walk silently down the outer wall of the cloister and round the corner until she was out of sight. He had already turned and went on his way back to bed when he heard a desperate cry for help. It was her voice. He hurried out again, but though he gazed all around him, he could see no trace of her. The voice was still audible and seemed to be coming from up above him, from the eaves over the door. Looking up, he saw a huge spider like a big black bolus holding in its clutches a little creature that was making the most pitiful noise. It was a green hornet in the throes of death. He carefully disentangled it and carried it back to his room, where he placed it on the table. Soon it recovered sufficient strength to move, crawled slowly up onto his inkstone and down into the ink. Presently it emerged again, clambered down from the inkstone, and began dragging itself across the table, tracing the words. Thank you. The readings in this episode were written by the Chinese author Pu Song Ling, who was born in the last few years of the Ming Dynasty in 1640, but lived most of his life under the Great Qing Dynasty, which took over governance of China in 1644. Pu came from a family of the landlord merchant class who had fallen on hard times, and despite showing early promise in passing the first stages of the imperial exam system, he failed to pass subsequent exams for a higher degree. Instead of gaining the secure bureaucratic appointment a higher degree would provide, Pu spent most of his life as a tutor, eventually finding permanent employment with a wealthy family by the name of Bai. This type of work would certainly come with less responsibility than a government position, and may have provided Pu with a leisure time to pursue his own interests. Pu was fascinated by tales of the strange and unusual, and collected those stories in his great work, Lao Jai Ji Yi, which was first translated into English by Herbert A. Giles under the title Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio in 1880. The sources for this collection of stories varied, from old Marvel tales of the Tang and Song dynasties to tales told to him by friends or even strangers. There are stories of Pu Sangling setting up a stand to sell tea to passers-by, and if they were able to tell Pu a good story, the tea would be for free. Most of his stories contain ghosts, fox spirits, and other supernatural beings seducing and terrorizing humans by turns. There is also a strong sexual element in many of his stories, and his works are often considered pretty risque even by today's standards. Mr. Giles sanitized much of the sexual element in his 19th century translation, but more modern translators have added the naughty bits back in, as they should. The readings in this episode are primarily from the Penguin Books edition of Strange Tales from a Chinese Studio, translated by John Minford, with the exception of The Dead Priest, 
which is a Herbert Giles translation found on Project Gutenberg. Neither collection has the full complement of 431 original tales written by Pooh, but Mr. Minford's version comes closer to the original Chinese version and is informed by modern Chinese versions of Pooh's original texts. All sound and music in this episode is by Bob Familiar. All readings are by Jim Bilbro. This has been Ambient Arcana. Ambient Arcana.